0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. And on this episode of Better Off, we're finding inspiration with author Christy Hedges.
1: It is so rare that I see anything about listening. Uh, And it's a funny thing because listening done well feels a lot like love. It feels like support. It feels like acknowledgement. It feels like caring. It feels like all these things wrapped up in one. And it's actually not that hard to do. We just have to learn how to do it.
0: Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Now, you know, the pod is really where we provide unconventional and hopefully entertaining insights on your money and your life. And your life part of it is so interesting to me because I think that we get so hyper-focused on our money, we forget about all the other important things that contribute to our financial success. And one of those things is how do you give and create inspiration and what is inspirational to you so we've got a great guest today chrissy hedges she's written a new book called the inspiration code how the best leaders energize people every day I think this is a very important concept whether you own your own company or lead a team but even just talking to people maybe you work for yourself and you want to inspire someone to work with you how do you spark enthusiasm how do you get that commitment with a single conversation you may be able to change the direction of someone's life yes someone's life that's according to executive coach and author Christy hedges she joins me today on better off
2: you are listening to better off with Jill Schlesinger
0: okay it's time for the interview segment we've got Christy hedges she is the author of the inspiration code how the best leaders energize people every day hi Christy hi I'm so excited to be here it's great to have you now we start off the program asking every single guest a single question you ready I'm ready what's the best financial or career decision that you've ever made
1: Oh, to start my own business! No, wow, that was so, that easy, was so easy for easy you. So easy for me.
0: Yeah, was it in in the moment? Was it? A hard decision though when you made that decision it
1: was I was 27 years old how did you just jump into working for yourself I you know again I was so young but one of the things that I did is I had paid off all my student loans which was very important for me to be able to do it I'd saved some money I had a cushion so that was important uh, but yeah it was a big jump off a, a cliff and uh, you know but you know thank goodness I did it
0: so I'm gonna do your little quick bio for sure. you. okay Christy is a leadership coach specializing in executive communications lots of big-time clients fortune 500 government nonprofits Oh, I could think of some government people who could use some help in their communication and inspiration mm-hmm. uh, privately held business uh, you write for Forbes.com, featured in all these great places Financial Times Wall Street Journal Huff Post CNBC BBC and more you're also the author of the power of presence so How do the best leaders energize people every day? Why'd you write this book?
1: Well, you know, like I think a lot of things that we get inspired by, it it came a little bit out of of left field. Uh, And, you know, this is really the true story of what happened. I was, uh, you know, I'm a leadership coach. I work with executives and professionals. And I wrote this book called The Power of Presence. And that came out in 2011. And when I, I wrote that book, I started going out and doing more workshops around the content and talking to large groups and such. And, you know, when you go out and talk to these groups, you, you hope that they're there anxiously waiting for your wisdom. Uh, but in reality, as we know, people are sitting there going sort of, you know, prove something to me, lady. And what do you have to tell me? And so I would try to warm up the audience a little bit. And I wanted to, to get them kind of talking about, uh, you know, what, um, what personal qualities they knew in people that they admired or who had inspired them and how that linked to presence. That's really what I was going for. So I would ask this question, who inspired you and what did they do? And what I found was, uh, the mood of the room when people would discuss the answer to this question would dramatically shift, hmm. uh, and people would light up, and they would get animated, and they would gesture, and their eyes would shine, and they looked like a group of people that could tackle anything. When just a couple minutes before, they looked like they were barely awake, and and so I st- and then people would talk about these people that inspired them, and they would go on and on and on about these certain qualities, and I started seeing the same qualities come up a lot and I got really curious about it so I spent the next five years really trying to understand what do inspiring people actually do that puts that kind of light in others
0: and what did you find I mean because inspiration comes from lots of different people places events Uh, what is it that were some of the traits or the elements of inspiration that that really resonated with these people
1: Well, they they can come from a lot of things. They're triggers, as the the social scientists who study inspiration tell us. There are triggering events or triggering um, incidents that that inspire us. Um, Most of the time, though, those triggering incidents are conversations. And when I looked at, you know, hundreds of conversations over the years with leaders talking about people who've inspired them, it really came down to four basic things that people did. And I call this the inspire path in the book. Uh, And they were present. They were very personal in terms of how they communicated. They were passionate. They showed passion. They aroused passion in other people. And they were very purposeful. So I'm
0: wondering, is there a point in your life or... Where you are, does that influence whether you're able to be inspired or not? Or do you think that that may come during times of tragedy where you're willing to, you're so vulnerable and raw you'll hear the message? What do you think about those ideas?
1: Well, what the researchers will tell you is that inspiration actually isn't an event. There are a couple of things that are sort of colliding and happening at the same time. Uh, One is that we are, uh, they call it transcendence. We see something different that we hadn't seen before. So that's, that's kind of this triggering event. And the other one is receptiveness. We're open to it. Uh, and that's why, you know, I always talk about the Eckhart Tolle book as an example here, where I read it in my 20s and I thought, what is this guy talking about? Uh, and then I read it in my 40s and I thought, this guy's a genius, right? <laughs> I understand everything. Like, I just wasn't receptive in my 20s. I wasn't there. That's how I feel about Stephen Sondheim. It took me a long time to get there, but I got there big time. <laughs> yeah, you get there, but you got to be receptive. And the last one they call an approach motivation, which is that you have that's that fire in your belly. Like, I'm going to do something about this, right? You know, you, you can feel it. Uh, and so certainly that receptiveness piece has a role and now, here's the thing about inspiration and I'm very clear about this in the book and it's very clear in the research you can't force it like you can't go in and say okay I'm going to inspire everybody in this room today you know before I'm gone um, that backfires what you can do is you can foster inspiration so that receptiveness piece you're you're fostering it right you're laying a foundation people decide for themselves that they're going to be inspired.
0: Um, I love this part I know it's in the introduction so I will get to the meat of the book but I do love the part of the book where you talk that and say that half of the people say behavior that had the greatest impact was when the person listened to them this was the most cited inspirational behavior are we bad
1: listeners, especially in corporate America? Oh, we're terrible listeners in corporate America. We're terrible listeners in general. Uh, I think we're getting worse uh, as well because we have more distraction than we ever have. And I, I think that uh, we, we sort of have uh, deluded ourselves that we can half listen and that does the job. Uh, yeah, that so that statistic surprised me, too. So I, what I did is I had so I had this qualitative research, and then I, I commissioned a Harris Poll study to do some quantitative research around it uh, and look at what the behaviors were, make sure I wasn't missing anything, and then kind of see rank worded them in a way, see which ones were most important. And I really thought after having spent 20 years in and around the field of communication that the number one quality surely would be something about the way we express ourselves. Uh, and and so that one, I really sat on that one for a while and took it to heart. But it really is listening. And, you know, if you look at, I, you know, I, in organizations, I'm exposed to a lot of leadership development programs. It is so rare that I see anything about listening in those programs. Maybe it's a, a side Point in a greater conversation about you know motivation or something along those lines but we don't train people how to listen Uh, and it's a funny thing because listening done well feels a lot like love it feels like support it feels like acknowledgement it feels like caring it feels like all these things wrapped up in one Uh, and it's actually not that hard to do we just have to learn how to do it so
0: how can we become better listeners or if someone's listening to this and they're engaged And they say, oh, my God, I I have to be a better listener. What do I need to do? What are some steps to take that would make me better at just being focused and listening? Is it obviously put down your device? Mm -hmm. What's next? Uh,
1: So uh, there are two things come to mind. So the first one is, uh, yes, put down your device, uh, is we're actually better listeners if we tell people ahead of time that we're going to be present. Really? So that sounds crazy, right? Yep, so I, you're setting the expectations. You're setting the expectation. So that does a couple of things. It provides an outspoken commitment that then we're, you know, we're, we're going to step into, we're more likely to step into, and it changes the dynamic. So if you think about it, you go into your boss's office, and if your boss says, you know what, I'm going to make sure I want to turn down my email and shut off my phone and close the door because this conversation is really important and I want to focus on it, uh, you can see how that automatically shifts the conversation and the energy in the room. Mm. Uh, so that's an easy one, right? We right. just don't do it, but just making the the proclamation, if you will. Uh, the other one is that we need to shift our listening. And and I talk about shifts we can do that are pretty simple in the book. And, and I'll give you an example of one. Uh, I say, sh- you know, shift from listening to judge to listen to Uh, out of curiosity to really understand. And so what does that mean? mean, We're really good at analysis. So generally when we go into a conversation, we're sort of listening to really judge what's going on, to get to the bottom of it, especially at work, right? We want to solve that problem and solve it quick. Uh, Instead of doing that, if we can shift our listening to say, okay, I'm just going to spend this next half an hour and I'm just going to be curious about what actually happened here in this situation, you ask different questions. You ask curious, maybe open-ended questions, uh, and you learn differently. And so you know, and there there's subtle shifts like that we can make that make us much better listeners. Uh, and again, it's it's really not that difficult. It's just having some attention and understanding behind what you're doing.
0: You know what's funny about that. I, I guess that it it brings to mind, uh, of course, uh, any relationship, right? that that people want to be heard. They want mm-hmm. you to listen to them. They don't want you, to, you know, your love relationship, your parental relationships. And um, it, it makes me laugh because sometimes I think that my, I'm turning into my mother because I do this podcast and I say to people, you can send me an email, but I'd rather call, have you call because I want to hear your voice. And I think that there's, number one, something really intimate about hearing somebody and the way they talk about their, say, their financial mm-hmm. life or what's going on. But the other part of it is that I hear what they're not saying. And when I read a written word, it's quite different. And so I can glean so much more from a conversation, which may actually just recount exactly what they've written, but there's something about the way they tell me that story or what they decide to add or, or delete on in the spot that tells me something around something emotionally behind that. And I wonder if some of that listening, especially in the work environment, is is this almost intimate and vulnerable place that you're both in. Like you're both sort of saying, I'm holding this here. It's sacred. And I don't want to get all inga boonga on you. But like actually that's when you get more out of your employees when they feel like they're heard.
1: Yeah, well first of all, we're all becoming our mother. So right. No shame <laughs> Thanks, there. Mom. Thank you, Mom. You've done a great <laughs> job. Uh, so so what I talk about that, how I, I help people to understand that. And you know what I I what I feel like part of my job is 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 distilling some of these really squishy soft concepts down into action. What can we actually do about this? And so uh, I kind of think about when we have a conversation that there are a couple conversations going on. So there's the outward conversation we're having, which I would call the text of the conversation. And then there's the subtext of the conversation. And that's the thoughts each of us might be having about the conversation. It might be uh, the situational aspects that are unspoken. And those have a lot of weight in a conversation. Uh, Generally, we spend time on the text. And we spend time on what we say and we, we try to really parse what the other person says and, you know, all the kind of work in the text. But what you're talking about is piercing what I'd call the subtext. So if I know that, you know, you've been very distracted at work uh, and I'm asking you kind of what's going on and you're saying, well, you know, um, you know, I've been trying really hard and you're giving me a lot of text. If I never say, I have to tell you, I, I, I've seen you distracted at work and I want to mention that because I want to understand it, we're not really going to have a very productive conversation. Right, because that subtext is just sitting there uh, unaddressed. Mm. So, but to get that subtext, you got to listen for it.
2: This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: We'll get back to our interview with Christy Hedges in just a second, but I'm just thinking, I love that line listen to the subtext, you got to listen. And you know who listens? Our sponsor, Betterment. Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor, listened to what was going on out in the marketplace and you know what they found that people want financial advice not just asset allocation but real personalized financial advice so in addition to providing low transparent fees Betterment also has personalized financial advice. It's going to help you with your financial planning needs. So what happens is they take the information that you tell them and they make tailored recommendations, things like how much money to invest, how much risk to take in your portfolio, the type of investment account you should have. Maybe you need tax efficiency, Everything Betterment does is designed to lower taxes and increase returns. It's kind of cool. And I just think that when you're considering your financial health and your financial stability and your financial future, you need to work with an organization that's listening to you. Better Off listeners can get up to six months managed for free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash better off. Betterment, rethink what your money can do. And now back to our interview with Christy Hedges. Okay, what if you're, I'm going to give you some what ifs. You're the boss. This has happened to me. So I used to own a company Mm -hmm. and I had some employees and and there are times where it was hard. hard for me to listen for the subtext because maybe I didn't really want to tackle that issue in the Mm. moment Mm -hmm. but I knew it was there so would you encourage me as my coach to say like get over it Jill and deal with it because it's there already you might as well deal with it because sometimes it's like oh I know that there's like a bigger issue that looms and the bigger issue may be like I need to manage this person out or the bigger issue may be that like I just can't deal with this I have 500 million things going mm-hmm. on what do I do if I'm in that conversation I see I, I, I know what the subtext is but I actually consciously don't want to deal with it is that bad or be uh, very judgy but you know or should I get over it and deal with it in the moment
1: well, so that I, I'm glad you asked that question because that's that is a very real occurrence. and And uh, there's a couple of answers I would say to that. One is that not every conversation is an inspiring conversation. Right? Sometimes we just need to get work done and move on, and that's okay. Right? Those are transactional conversations this is what makes the world go round. We got to do it. Uh, what we're talking about here are a very specific way to have a conversation and listen and really build connection. Uh, and so when you said that, what I thought about is, uh, you know, because I used to have a lot of employees as well, and there's there's always these sort of HR issues that you can ask. And that's a different situation. So there are times when, if I were coaching you, I would say, I would be listening, for my subtext would be, how much is this conversation, how much does it need to happen for you to advance whatever you want to advance? And if it's hindering something that you're trying to do, if it's dragging your team down, if it's if you're going home and being frustrated about it every single day, then I would encourage you to get the subtext on the table.
0: That's interesting because um, I have a friend who who just recently was complaining about someone who works for her, and she said uh, she's so frustrated. The the employee is very frustrated. I know she's frustrated. She thinks she's better than she is. I I, I pay her a lot of money, and I'm already disappointed in who she is as an employee. Mm -hmm. She's a very nice person, but she wants to have the employee wants to have that conversation like I want to be doing more I want to be doing more now boss says I want to inspire her to do more but I'm scared that actually she just doesn't have the skill set to do it over dinner with her friend she's bringing this up with me like having a conversation about it. and I'm saying well if you're talking about it with me this clearly is a problem so don't you have to get it out on the table she's like yeah but I can't deal with that right now that's what I was thinking about as I was asking mm-hmm. you the question do you find that the workers really want to be inspired are you like the vast majority of people like when they go to work they say that's what I'm lacking can they say that in in the
1: moment I think we all want to be inspired you do I I, I believe this to my core uh, I believe that Uh, We want to feel a sense of purpose and energy and engagement uh, in our work. We spend a lot of time there in our lives. And I know that because we've all had a sense of it. I mean, most, I shouldn't say all, most of us by far are lucky enough to have had a sense of being really inspired by what we do. And we know what it feels like when it's gone. Uh, Because you hear these, you know, you hear common conversations. I feel stagnant. I don't feel like, um, you know, I'm not engaged in my work anymore. I'm not motivated. I mean, that's the opposite side of inspiration. However, I will tell you what I think people don't want more of. You know, a small group of people comes up with a vision for the organization and then rolls it out to everybody with great fanfare. And then everybody sort of nods and smiles and goes on their way. And that they doesn't they don't really change their behavior at all because it feels like something that's being forced on them versus something they're electing to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and again, it, it's they're trying to do a good thing. It's just that's not what motivates us. That's not what inspires us. What inspires us are these personal, interpersonal exchanges and conversations we have a lot of times with the people that report to, but not always, uh, that, you know, make us engaged at work. I think what's um, another
0: concept that you say is like sort of the real, like having like real meaning at work Mm -hmm. is this concept that people keep saying, like, be your authentic self. And I love that you basically say, like, you cannot be your authentic self at work necessarily. And maybe it's not Mm -hmm. appropriate to be. And I think um, you're quoting someone else about adaptively authentic Can you
1: explain that? Yeah. So, you know, again, I think a lot of these ideas are good at their core. Authenticity, I mean, sort of being a whole person at work and not feeling like you have to put, you know, a big part of your personality aside. These are all great goals. And and I think our workplaces have come a long way in that regard, uh, for sure. Uh, But, you know, authenticity isn't, um, you know, the reason I say it's adaptive is because we, we have to look at our environment as well and say, how does me be my authentic self, match up with the environment that I'm in in a way that you know furthers me for my goals or what I wanna do. And often we adopt new behaviors that after we have them for a while, become authentic. And so that's what that idea is. So if I'm somebody who doesn't think I'm very good in meetings, uh, but my part of my role is to run meetings very effectively, If I really apply myself and try some new things in a year or so I'm gonna feel pretty authentic about running meetings Uh, and so we have to be open to the fact that what feels uncomfortable for us at one point might feel very authentic at another point
0: do you think that uh, the passion of the leader is a double-edged sword sometimes I'm thinking about sometimes the uh, like the startup culture Mm -hmm. where You know, the passion gets you on board. It's amazing. But that passion is also kind of baloney on some level Mm -hmm. sometimes, and it falls apart. And then, you know, it almost feels like, oh, so what was that passion thing? Is that delusion Mm -hmm. also? I mean, how does that play out when you think about passion?
1: Uh, I worked with a company a while ago where there was a new CEO brought in. And, uh, and the company had gone through sort of a lot of different changes. And people there were pretty cynical and frustrated and stressed out. And um, there's a lot of passive-aggressive resistance in the organization. But I didn't meet with the people first. First I met with the CEO. And he was very passionate and almost a bullion. And I met him and I left. I was like, this guy's awesome, right? He's going to do anything he wants to do. And then I met with some of the people <laughs> who reported to him. And their response was, who is this guy, Right. He's so far out there from where we are. He's like he's got a Pollyanna attitude. He's not down to earth. We don't know what's going on with him. His passion was so outpaced from where everybody else was that he'd lost them. Hmm. And so he needed to come towards the middle, right? And so you can't get too far ahead. You need to be a little bit ahead of people in terms of energetically where you're trying to take them. But if you're too far ahead, people just can't metabolize your energy, if you will. And so. I think that happens a lot in startups, right? Everybody starts at that same level. Oh, we're going to take on the world. And then the leader kind of keeps going off into the stratosphere because they're out there talking to people outside of the organization. who are just pumping them up and their passion just blows and, and, you know, blooms. And and then you have everybody else back in the office who's dealing with the fact that the servers aren't working and all this kind of stuff. And and that starts to look like it's not the same. You know, there's a divide almost in the energy or the passion of the organization.
0: I always think that, especially with these large publicly traded companies, it is always confounding to me the way that they say, oh, you know, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders. It's like they put their shareholders ahead of their employees. And I've always had a hard time with that. I don't know why. I mean, I get it that the shareholders are important, but I remember years ago, I I did a piece and I interviewed the CEO of the container store. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was so striking to me because he had this culture from the company. I mean, the staff loved working there. They were like the most incredible cheerleaders, the raving fans of their own organization. And he was very blunt. He said, look, I'm an outlier for a publicly traded company. To me, the number one most important constituency, that's my employees. Number two is my customers. And number three is my shareholder. And I believe it's that's the right order. And he said, and I believe that's the right order because if my people are happy, mm-hmm. they treat my customers well, my customers are happy, the customers keep shopping here, then they fulfill the promise to the shareholders. And yet many organizations, it's the other way around. Shareholders, customers, employees. Has that been a shift that you've seen out there and also I'm wondering if that has changed because I feel like we used to be much more employee centric as uh, mm-hmm. in, in the workplace
1: yeah well so I, I think we've I think we've seen a couple shifts uh, you know we we've seen that the employee to shareholder shift and now I think you've seen another trend where organizations are trying to recapture that a little bit some just do it by words uh, but we do we have to uh, when you said that about shareholders or employees I think what people miss is that it's, it's a loop uh, there, there isn't one or the other. It's all part of the same dynamic. If you're if you're good to these audiences, then they're going to be good to your shareholders.
0: Christy Hedges, The Inspiration Code is the book. OK, before we let you go, Christy, we've got a final question. Beginning of the show, we asked you your best career or money decision. Now we get to let you bear your your bones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What was the
0: worst financial money or career decision that you made?
1: Mm, You know, I I would say that I should have been more patient uh, in my earliest job. So I I mentioned earlier that I had gone on on my own uh, fairly early in my career. But I can remember in my first two jobs being just incredibly impatient. uh, And now looking back, uh, what I should have done has had a little patience, selected some mentors in the organization that I could find to help me grow, uh, and just kept on networking like crazy.
0: Christy Hedges, she's the author of The Inspiration Code, How the Best Leaders Energize People Every Day. Go out and buy the book. Buy it for your boss. Buy it for yourself. Buy it for your
2: coworkers. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Okay, it's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, you've got two chances to get on the air with us every single week. On Tuesdays, we do the Better Off bonus call of the week, and then the longer show on Thursdays. Today we've got Anthony, who's on the line from Arizona. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to Better Off. What can we do for you?
2: Hi, Jill. It's great speaking with you. I I love your show. Thank Uh, you. My my question has to do with um, my brokerage account um, and the proper allocation of investments within it um, if I want to use it for um, early retirement. Currently, I have have retirement um, assets, 401K and a, um, a cash balance pension fund. But I've been thinking about retiring early and um, needing to access some money, you know, before 59 and a half. Um, So I want to make sure that what I'm putting into my brokerage account is allocated properly.
0: Okay. Tell me, first of all, uh, how old are you?
2: Um, I'm currently 48. Great.
0: Uh, Married, partnered?
2: Uh, Single, no kids. It's just me.
0: Okay. How much money do you have saved already in retirement funds,
2: about? Um, between my um, 401k, the pension, and the brokerage account, it's around, um, I think, $990,000. i am going to call it a million
0: just because I can. Right. <laughs> I'm going to err on the side of that. Okay. And uh, how much
2: money is in the brokerage account? Okay, so most of the money is unfortunately in the other two accounts, but in the brokerage account, right now there's approximately sixty thousand. Okay,
0: and so when you say retire early, what does that mean to you? How do, how do you think about that?
2: Well, um, that's a good question. Um, I'm not entirely sure. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you know quit work altogether and you know either do nothing or do something that's not work related. But um, it probably means maybe working part time. Or even working seasonally
0: and right now, how much money do you need to support the life
2: you want to live um, well, right now, um, I probably need around um, i' would say twenty five hundred to twenty seven fifty a month for Supporting my current lifestyle,
0: and do you think that that's going to be consistent going forward? I mean, if, let's just re, let's let's uh, make it three thousand a month just for the heck of it. Do you anticipate
2: that's going to be kind of where
0: you are going
2: forward? I think in, in retirement um, it may need to be a little bit more to cover um, um, insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe four thousand once I actually get to the point where I want to retire. But, um, you know, between three and 4000 I think it's a good number.
0: Okay. Even 4000 I mean, it's it's amazing because you're so young and you've done a great job of saving because, you know, just that million dollars, you know, by the time you can really access the money after 59 and a half is probably going to be pretty much what you need, right, like, you know, in the next 10 years or so, just in terms of generating the $4,000 a month. I guess the big question is between the period of time when you retire and, you know, kind of chilling out a little bit for the five years or so in between, you need to have an adequate amount of money in the brokerage account. So yes. in that respect, how much money are you saving? If you, you know, if you're maxing out everything in your 401k and that side of
2: your world, how much is going into your brokerage account right now? So currently I'm just adding um, $500 a month into the brokerage account. Uh, I do plan on um, tripling that um, at the beginning of next year. Um, I have another savings goal that I'm working on currently, but I'll finish that up. And so starting um, in January of 2018, I'll be putting in um, $1,500 a month. That's awesome.
0: All right, so here's what I would say about this. I think that um, retiring early and and not even – um, knowing really what you can earn in terms of, as you said, either part-time or seasonal. I think that, that when you're looking at that brokerage account, you should be thinking of that as money I need to access early in my, in, in my retirement years. Therefore, it has to be a little bit less risky than the money that I would access later. So essentially, mm-hmm. you think about these sort of three pools of money. One is the brokerage account. The next is the deferred accounts like a 401k or a traditional IRA, whatever it ends up being you know, down the line. And the third being the Roth assets. And when you're looking at your allocation of those three, uh, think of it as money I need to access soonest should have uh, a lower risk risk parameter than money that I would access way down the line. So brokerage accounts should be less risky than 401k assets, which should be less risky than Roth assets, because Roth is basically money that's already been taxed. You're not going to, you're hopefully not going to touch it for as long as you possibly can. And I think that if you kind of build your your asset base up that way, in terms of, Okay, I I know that brokerage I'm gonna need to have money coming out. So what I what do I wanna do? In that brokerage account, I've gotta have the cash available so that I can live on three or four thousand bucks a month. I have to have the cash available for that, at least for Not the whole five years, but you got to have like at least a year of that in cash. And then as each year progresses, you've got to replenish the cash. So just by having that much cash in the account, it's got to be more conservative, right? And you don't have to do this immediately because you're saying that you're not going to sort of be accessing this for seven years. But again, I would think of this account, the brokerage account, as a less risky version of your 401k account. How is that the brokerage account invested
2: right this minute? So currently, um, I have around 45000 in a um, a total stock market um, ETF, and the rest of it currently is just in cash. I'd,
0: I'd like a little bit more diversification than that, and maybe I would add some uh, short-term bond fund to this instead of the cash. But I, I would layer on a little bit more income... Driving assets to the mix so that you have a little bit of a cash machine that's being created from the portfolio itself. And I think that if, you know, I don't know what you said your other savings goals are, but I think that if you are tripling your monthly amount into that brokerage account, you're putting $1,500 a month and you start doing that, you know, for the next five, six, seven years, you're going to have exactly what you need. And if anything, what I would be more interested in having you do is. As you reach your various goals, as you get closer to needing your money, you pull the risk back a little bit. That's it. And, and otherwise, it sounds like you're in terrific shape. I mean, I, I really am very impressed by, I, I don't know how much money you make, but you're saving a lot of money, and it's great news. Uh, how much do you earn right now?
2: Um, I, I currently earn around um, 120000 a year before taxes. That's great. It's great. What's your other big savings goal? Um, So in a couple of years, I would like to um, build a new house. I want to do that with cash. So I've been saving for um, a new house, which I will sell my current house and combine that with what I have saved and um, hopefully make that dream happen.
0: That's pretty awesome. I think you're in great shape. Just make that brokerage account a little you know, if you've got this barbell approach, which is lots of risk on one hand, right, a stock market index and cash, I would fill that in a little bit. I think you're in great shape, and it seems to me like you're going to be able to retire early, and is especially if you're going to work a little bit. I think this is like a no-brainer. You're gonna, you're on your way. Great, that's wonderful. All thank right, you. well, congratulations. You're, you're a, you are very much a great, glowing example of how saving early can actually help you have lots of options in the future. So, thank you so much for calling.
2: Well, thank you, Jill. Thank you for all your advice, and um, I love your show. Once again, awesome. All right,
0: you. thanks again. Take care. Bye. Thanks again to Christy Hedges, the author of The Inspiration Code. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at That's ask Jill at And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark DeLarcio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.